0: Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Samba Sale Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm gonna be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Friday. We finally made it to the weekend and we are one step closer to Christmas. And for anyone that is Jewish out there, last night was the first night of Hanukkah. So to everyone out there that is celebrating, happy Hanukkah. And hopefully the next seven nights are wonderful ones, even in the times that we're in right now. So hopefully you're celebrating that. Hopefully everyone's getting ready for Christmas. But before we even celebrate all that stuff, before we even get to the weekend, there's a lot of stuff that I need to cover today on the Sam Podcast. As I mentioned On yesterday's edition, I said that yesterday was Disney's Investor Day and that today I would cover everything that was announced at the event. And boy, was there ever a whole lot of announcements. It did not disappoint. I'm going to get into all of it. I'm also going to be discussing the other side of the coin that is happening with all the fallout that is still occurring with Warner Brothers and their announcement of a lot of their major blockbusters or all of their major blockbusters from 2021 have becoming a hybrid on hbo max and in theater so i'm going to get into all of that in just a little bit but the first thing as i do every single friday on the sambicell podcast we only have one more of these after this friday that is the latest episode of the mandalorian the Mandalorian was the penultimate episode of season two it is episode seven chapter 15 the believer and this episode was directed by Rick Famuyiwa and was directed by him as well he was a director of chapter two and chapter six of the first season of Mando so he has experience in this universe and working with these characters and he also again wrote this one and this was his first time writing in Star Wars so it wasn't John. Favreau at the helm of this episode on the script side of things but overall rick from did a really good job with his two episodes in the first season and he continues that trend with this episode it was another really really entertaining episode i wouldn't say it's better than what we've gotten over the last few weeks but it wasn't a downhill trend whatsoever it maintained the momentum that we have going into next week's finale and really i think what this episode did so well was continue to flesh these characters in such intriguing ways that we haven't gotten in episodes prior and before I go on any further, this is a non-spoiler review for this week's episode of Mandalorian. On Monday, I will have a spoiler episode, so it gives some people some time this weekend to watch and catch up with the latest from The Mandalorian. But going back to the episode, it was about the character developments in this episode. We got it from Din, and we also got it from Mayfield, who is played by Bill Burr this episode, who reunites with Fumiyua as he was a part of the sixth episode that he did in, season one and we got more of flesh character of mayfield in this episode and and how he was a former imperial sharpshooter but you see the conflict in him and you continue to see all these characters fleshed out and we get amazing action sequences but i again it really was about the story the progression of these characters and for anyone that i think really thinks that these episodes that don't really progress the story as much as we've seen in the last few weeks that may. May feel like this is reminiscent of the second episode of season two and that it might just be filler. I think what makes That episode of of episode two of season two, the the premiere of season two in this episode really done really well is that it might not progress the story so much as it does the character development, the emotion, the journey. And that's really what this show has become. It's become a journey season, a journey show. And watching this entire episode season play out over the last few weeks. And remembering and thinking back to what Jon Favreau said in the first look Entertainment Weekly cover that came out around September, he referenced the fact that in the Game of Thrones episodes, it was about the journey. People were getting to point A to point B. And every single episode of the season of Mandalorian so far has been the journey of getting Grogu back to his own kind, to the Jedi. And we've seen that journey take place really throughout the last seven episodes so far and once the finale is all done i'm personally really excited to go back and watch not really just this season but both seasons combined and see how the journey has maturated so far from November 2019 to December of 2020 and the seasons that we have so far. So I'm really excited of what this episode delivered. I'm a big fan of Rick Famiglia and this really does lay the foundation and set up the end game for next, next week's finale. And it's really setting up to conclude some stories. I'm sure we're gonna get cliffhangers that will lead us into season three and so forth, but I'm really, really excited to see how this all kind of concludes together And it seems like the director that started this season is going to end it with Jon Favreau, who will write next week's episode. So I would suspect it to be a little bit longer, probably on the same length. If not, maybe a tad bit longer than the season two premiere, which is the longest episode of The Mandalorian to date, clocking in at around 53, 54 minutes. So I think we'll get the season finale to be right around that runtime, or again, maybe just a little bit longer. But... Overall, another solid week of the Mandalorian. I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was gifted with a lot of action. We went to a new planet. And the big thing of this episode was that we fleshed out more of the characters, specifically the Mandalorian and and Mayfield's character, Bill Burr, who, by the way, kudos to bill burr who i think this year has proven that he's not just a great comedian stand-up comedian he's a very good actor from the mandalorian to also what he did in the summer with the king of staten island with pete davidson so he's definitely somebody to look out for of definitely being involved in a lot more projects and we might see him later on the down the line in more mandalorian but i definitely think that for people that were maybe worried and didn't like the bill burr episode from season one I don't think they have to worry a lot about this episode, as I think they do a lot of great stuff with his character and fleshing it out a lot more than I think we realized from the sixth episode of that premiere season. So definitely a lot to look forward to, definitely a lot to enjoy in this episode. It clocked in at around 35 minutes or so. So again, a shorter episode than we what we've gotten throughout the season, but still very entertaining, very enjoyable, and I think a lot of people are going to really, really like this episode setting up for what should be a bonkers finale next week so if you guys have seen the mandalorian what did you think about it did you enjoy it did you think it was maybe a little bit of a letdown did you did it exceed your expectations let me know what you think again non-spoiler comments in this section of the podcast and leave your thoughts below i'd really like to know what you guys think about it moving on now to some more news that came out yesterday of the fallout continuing with warner brothers so Throughout the entirety of the four hours of Disney's Investor Day yesterday, which I'll get into to to wrap up the show, but as all that was going on, Warner Brothers was continuing to deal with the mess of a situation that they have laid out in front of them with really all of Hollywood gearing up for a battle with Warner Brothers at this particular moment in time. And it's not just Christopher Nolan coming at them anymore. Guilds and agencies are starting to go after Warner Brothers, sending out letters yesterday talking about retaliation and how they are not happy and how their clients are not happy of what is going on in the occurrences of what is going on with this new deal of again h hbo max and theaters having this hybrid of all of the 17 films that are coming out next year from warner brothers and again no one came out at first during the beginning of this week to talk about this and again aired his grievances on what he thinks is an error in the ways of of this decision and then it came out of course that in the the hours leading up to the bombshell that dropped last week it was revealed that a lot of the creators and actors and people that were working on all these projects, minus Wonder Woman 1984, were only apprised of this announcement about an hour, hour and a half before the news dropped by all the outlets and by Warner Media itself. So really this week has become fallout for this decision for Warner Media. They're not not able to celebrate this decision right now, even though they're going out and saying that they are looking forward to this. This is the right way to go. Behind the scenes, they're pretty much trying to clean up this mess, I think, and try to bring order back to the people that they are working with and collaborating with on an artistic stand front right now. And one of the other directors that we heard rumors about through reporting that he was not happy was Dune director Denis Villeneuve, whose film is going to be following this hybrid format and was always intended to be a theatrical landscape. It's got an incredible cast, incredible production design, just an incredible... Incredible film that is meant to be seen on the big screen, and in a letter that was made to Variety that they published, Denis Villeneuve really went after it and and really laid it all out there in scathing, in scathing reviews and. Scathing critiques really went after Warner Media and how he really feels about this whole thing. So, I'm going to read a few excerpts from the letter that he sent to Variety and Variety later published on their website. This, so, this is what Denny Villeneuve had to say about the entire situation. Again, this isn't the entire letter, but these are, I think, the major excerpts from the, the letter that he sent. I learned in the news that Warner Brothers has decided to release Dune on HBO Max at the same time as our theatrical release, which by the way is October 2nd of next year, using prominent images from our movie to promote their streaming service. With this decision, AT&T has hijacked one of the most respectable and important studios in film history. There's absolutely no love for cinema, nor for the audience here. It is all about the survival of a telecom mammoth, one that is currently bearing an astral astronomical debt of more than $150 billion. Therefore, even though Dune is about cinema and audiences, AT&T is about its own survival on Wall Street. With HBO Max's launch a failure thus far, AT&T decided to sacrifice Warner Brothers' entire 2021 slate in a desperate attempt to grab the audience's attention. So that's one part of the letter, which I think really aligns itself to what Nolan was saying. And about this is really a a sacrificial lamb. This is more about getting the eyes on a streaming service to get a company out of debt than it really is about servicing the the fan community, the film community, and helping the survival of the theatrical exhibition right now, which is one of the industries amongst many that are struggling right now due to the coronavirus and the pandemic. And this is what he had to say about both the company and also his experience working on Dune and how this whole decision is a big implication for what could happen in the future. Streaming services are a positive and powerful addition to the movie and TV ecosystems. But I want the audience to understand that streaming alone can sustain the film industry as we knew it before COVID. Streaming can produce great content, but not movies of Dune scope and scale. Warner Brothers' decision means Dune won't have the chance to perform financially in order to be viable, and piracy will ultimately triumph. Warner Brothers might just have killed the Dune franchise. This one is for the fans, at ts John Stank, he said that the streaming horse left left the barn to burn or left the barn in truth the horse left the barn for the slaughterhouse that is if that is not an indictment and a scathing review of a person that works for a media conglomerate and one of your employees your powerful employees is saying this that is an indictment against how people really are feeling about this decision and i think to put all this in its proper context and perspective along with the with the letter that denny villeneuve sent who again is a tremendous director who did incredible work of blade runner 2049 even though it was a box office bomb tremendous movie arrival sicario prisoners he is really one of the best directors in the game and when i think of top three Top two directors, both of them are working at Warner Brothers right now between Nolan and Denny villeneuve Both of their movies were on my top top 10 most anticipated when 2020 started before the year played out the way it did. I love both of their works when it comes to their resumes. So I think for for both of these directors to come out and say this, again, acting as conduits for how other people are, are feeling. To put this in its perspective, between what the CAA also put out in a letter saying that their clients are not happy, that their deals are not being upholded or upheld, and and also when it comes to the DGA and the fact that they thought they had these deals in place, that all these films would be going theatrical, and the deals that they made were going to be made for theatrical release, and that they were not told otherwise that the deal had changed and it all really just comes down to really the reason for all this fallout isn't the fact that it's the films being put on the streaming service or that it's a hybrid release i think that is that is now part of it and i think Again, for the first half of the year, I think it makes total sense because we're still going to be in the midst of a pandemic. But once the second half of the year comes out, then those questions can start to, to come out where do we need to put these films in this hybrid when theaters are slowly starting to make a comeback? But it that makes somewhat of, of sense. It makes sense. But the, the real indictment when it comes to this is the way that Warner Brothers, Warner Media handled this. It's like if you had... A sports contract. And let's say Paul George just signed for five years an additional $223 million. And he still has the contract that he's playing out right now. And let's say Paul George is putting up great numbers for throughout the next few years. And then all of a sudden, the the LA Clippers decide, well, we don't wanna we, we don't wanna uphold this end of the deal anymore. We're gonna cut you, we're not gonna pay you the money anymore that's not the deal that they set up in place sure warner brothers uh, not warner brothers but the la clippers can do that but it's not good business it's not gonna look good the optics aren't gonna look good and honestly that kind of stuff matters and in hollywood even though it is a business and it's all about making money it's show business not showmanship show business even though it is business there's also a business of relationships and for somebody that is learning to work in this industry, that has learned it while I was at college, relationships are everything. Connections are everything in that industry. And if you start burning bridges, it it will be disastrous, especially for a company like Warner Brothers that is a golden standard. And from everyone that you're hearing, when they talk about this deal and what happened they they know and warner brothers has always been notorious for this that they are a company that is film friendly they put films filmmakers orders above all even though they are a business they always look out for the filmmakers Right now, that is not happening. And that is how CAA agents and their clients feel, which represent a ton of them. And the same thing goes for the DGA, which talks about the directors, the filmmakers that have put all years and years. And I talked about it on on podcast prior this week. Directors put not just a few months into this, not just a year two, three years into some of these big, big productions that take so much time. They oversee development, pre-production, production, production, post-production, distribution. They are done with the film once it hits the theaters. Like for Patty Jenkins for example, she has been with Wonder Woman for years. Wonder Woman 1984 to be more specific, and her work is not done until the film is released and that's coming in a few weeks. So for directors, when you have a mindset that this is going to come out in theaters, this is what this is what we we agreed with with the studio, you expect them to honor that deal. And when it comes to the fact that they decided at the at the eleventh hour to say, "Well, you know what? We're we're changing the terms of that agreement. We're doing this hybrid release," you you become a studio that people are going to talk about around the town, saying, "Well, I had somewhat of a good experience, but I can't trust the studio in the fact that if they agree to a to a release, if they agree to." put it out in theaters then all of a sudden it turns into well actually it's for hbo max or well it's going to be going to both our streaming service and into the theaters and that's just not what you want to be remembered for and I think what Denny Villeneuve said is spot on in the fact that Warner Brothers and Warner Media is becoming the victim of a telecom conglomerate. And the fact that AT&T is all about the money, they're all about getting out of this debt. And for a studio, that is not, you cannot operate in that way. And again, you wanna make money, but you wanna keep these relationships healthy. Because again, these aren't just, B-level directors, these aren't just indie directors that you can just say, you know what, you, you haven't done anything good for us, we'll do what we want to do with this film. No, these are highly acclaimed directors that studios would kill, kill to have on their payroll. There were reports coming out that years ago, Alan Horn, the chairman of Disney, or for, the, for Disney Films, theatrical, was trying to convince Nolan to come over to... To Disney and work with them. And Nolan isn't under contract with Warner Brothers, but he's under a relationship with them where they have treated him well and he has made them money. So it works hand in hand. And so the fact that you have all of all of these filmmakers like a James Gunn or a Denis Villeneuve or even... Patty Jenkins, no less, who has even come out and said on these press tours for Wonder Woman 1984 that if it wasn't for the circumstances, she would not agree to this hybrid release. But because the circumstances dictated this, she really, and, and the way that it was presented, that's around the holiday time, she liked that. And she has even come out and said, if this was any other circumstances, I would not be going for this whatsoever. So if you are Warner Brothers and you have all these directors come in and saying, well, we had a good relationship, but then you screwed me at the last second with a major film in a pandemic. They're not going to go for that. And, and I think Denny Villeneuve says it great as well in the fact that People love making content for streaming services. It's not like they don't love making stuff for Netflix, for Amazon. You're seeing people like Martin Scorsese. You're seeing people like Orion Murphy or Noah Baumbach. And you're seeing people on the level of the the Russo brothers working for Netflix. And you're seeing all this high-level talent going to these streaming services. They want to work for these streaming services. They want to create great content and they feel like the content wouldn't be good enough for the studios. They'll go to a streaming service. But the fact that these were made and agreed to be put in theatrical release and the fact that in terms of the money, the money situation for these filmmakers where they are expected to make money off of these films successfully through theaters and now that could be messed up entirely where you are going to lose all this money probably with these hybrid releases because nobody's going to go to the theaters right now and you're not going to be making a whole lot of money off of the the streaming service at least you're not going to be making as much as you would have if it just went to theatrical so for the filmmakers for the actors for everybody working on these films for that back for, for that back pay that they get And that bonus pay for the box office, it makes sense. That back end is huge because they get paid up front initially, but they always make sure creatives, actors, they always make sure that when it comes to big level productions, big level blockbusters, that they make sure that they get some kind of equivocation to the back end of the box office, because that can make them a whole lot more money than they would get up front initially. And if if you lose that, it's disastrous. For, for filmmakers, that that's losing out on, on on a payday. And again, everyone wants money, and these filmmakers want money, and they deserve that kind of money, putting the blood, sweat, and tears that they do into these movies for years. And Judd Apatow just recently went on Variety and was talking in an interview and saying that Universal looks like saints right now. And he says, and and this is exactly what I was talking about with what Disney has done. And we'll get to Disney in a little bit with their Investor Day. But the fact that Judd Apatow has said that when it didn't look like things were going to be shaping up and looking better and brighter in the summer with the pandemic, Universal sat me down, we did a PVOD release, and we talked about the best way to move from here. They had a dialogue, and that's where the the, the, disconnection is happening. And for people that say, oh, well, Sam, does it really matter? Again, it's just business. They're doing the smart decision. Yeah, they might be doing the smart decision financially, business-wise. But again, there's another aspect when it comes to Hollywood. It's relationships. And if you screw somebody over, yes, they can come back to you at some given moments in time. But when it comes to something like this, that may not happen. If you have other options, you'll take those options. And again, this has nothing to do with the movie theaters because the movie theaters will play these movies because they are in a desperate situation. They have no other choice right now. So right now it's up to the DGA, the CAA, and these and these filmmakers to take some kind of stand if that's what they want to do. And Legendary as well. Talking about that earlier in the week where they might go to court because they put in a huge significant of a budget into Godzilla vs Kong and Dune and they didn't even get notified. If you don't notify your partners and your collaborators, what kind of relationship is that? It's all about the relationships. And if it's not on equal footing, then it's going to go one way or another, and you will lose people. And it's not like filmmakers are a dime a dozen. Denny Villeneuve, you can't make another Denny Villeneuve in a day. Nobody, not even an indie filmmaker that's on the rise can do what Denny Villeneuve does right now. Same thing with Christopher Nolan. Same thing with Patty Jenkins. Same thing with James Gunn. You can't find any of these people. You can't find a Timothy Chalamet on the sidewalk, on the street. You can't find a Gal Gadot. You can't find a Margot Robbie. You can't find a Will Smith. You can't find a Keanu Reeves on the street. You can't say that person's the next one. They could very well be, but... You already have somebody in business with that so why would you why would you screw that up and for toby emmerich to not do anything if he's just playing along to get within the ranks of higher ups in warner media the, the shame on him this is about the integrity of the filmmaking of relationships and deals that are worked on And it's like any other deal-making. If you change the alterations of the deal at the 11th hour, then it's not going to end well for you. And then to go to to Disney to see what they did yesterday, they tiptoed the line a little bit where they made sure that they put in, that they have a lot of content for their streaming services, but it's just for their streaming service. And they also made sure yesterday not to make it all about theatrical, too, but that they made sure to reassure people that we are still in the business of theatrical and some of our films are still going to be put in theaters. We just have to write out the next few few months. And that's really what Disney did yesterday in their investors day. And so to see the difference between Warner Brothers and what Warner Brothers is doing and what Disney's doing is completely different and why Disney is the gold standard in Hollywood right now. As much as people say that, that Warner Brothers is a gold standard as well, the standard right now is Walt Disney. The Walt Disney Company is a standard and they keep on proving it and they proved it again yesterday. And Warner Brothers right now, while, while Disney is seeing stock rise up, while Disney is getting applauded for all the content they shared and tiptoeing the line and making sure they didn't negate one side or the other, Warner Brothers is, is shoveling up a mess. Nobody is reacting to what Disney did yesterday and saying, oh, we're going to boycott this or, or we might not promote your movies. Warner Brothers is having that right now. Hell, even Universal didn't have that. When The biggest thing that happened this year when it came to the theatrical exhibition was when they shortened the windows. And sure that the, the, the NATO came out and they weren't for it, or maybe some, some people might not have been for it, but it wasn't like the filmmakers, it wasn't like you had the DGA calling for your head, it wasn't like you had agencies, major agencies, calling for your head. Warner Brothers has that right now. So they have got to figure out this mess. Can it be mended? I think so. But it's going to take time. And it's going to take the fact that Warner Brothers is owned, and Denny Villeneuve said it best, they are owned by telecommunication mammoth right now. They are not the filmmaking oriented company right now they are working for somebody that is that is worried about more about the debt and the financials than everybody else it's all about the money and money's great and everybody wants money and that's really what all this drama is about is about the money but there's other tangibles that come with it as well within gaining that financial push-up so again, this, all this fallout is going to keep happening, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear more about it in the next few days as well. This is just going to be something that's going to keep on continuing on, and it's probably not going to stop anytime soon. So I'll definitely have a lot more for you as we get going as we hear more about it and again this is probably gonna be something that will take us into the new year but what do you guys think about the denny villain newsletter or the letters from the caa from the dga going after warner brothers and making this into an ugly situation let me know what you guys think and leave your thoughts i really like to know what you think but again moving on now we're gonna see the other side of that coin and why disney exploded yesterday and really again is the standard in the entertainment business right now as yesterday was their annual investor day and honestly was a highly anticipated investor day as we were getting rumors and speculation that this was going to be a major major day for the mouse houses they were going to announce multiple projects for Disney Plus and really start to focus on their direct-to-consumer business moving forward. And again, one of the things that I always said about Disney Plus was, especially in their first year, they got to st- start getting worried about people leaving. Because even though and they have now 86 million subscribers, it was announced yesterday, in their first full year, which is highly impressive, they were doing it really on peanuts, The Mandalorian is a fantastic show, and it is one of the best shows on television. It is probably the biggest cultural phenomenon right now in entertainment. People have always been wondering, what's going to be the next Game of Thrones? We're going to make this the next Game of Thrones? No, this is going to be the next Game of Thrones in terms of cultural phenomenon that people will be talking about. The Mandalorian is that now. It is solidified that, and I have no doubt about it. And they haven't really had anything else. They've had Hamilton which came out in the summertime. They had Star Wars, The Clone Wars, but it's not on that level of Mandalorian when it premiered in February. It might start to get there now because of the references that tie in to Clone Wars 2 Rebels with the second season of The Mandalorian, but they haven't really had anything else. They they had Mando dipped down, went shot back up with Hamilton, went back down a little bit, and has kind of slowly started to... to rise again with season two of the mandalorian you had the the folklore taylor swift concert film that came out about a week or two ago so the big thing has always been the consistency in you have a big project and when that ends you kind of have a a few about a few months of nothing and then you start have a, a big shot and then you go down it's like a roller coaster well, now it seems like with the announcement of all this content that came out of Disney Plus yesterday and the Disney Investor Day, that the consistency is going to start happening next year in 2021. And at the beginning of the Investor Day, they talked about how the, the scenario moving forward for the next few years is that we are going to potentially have 10 Marvel shows and 10 Star Wars shows each in the next few years. So we didn't even hear about the content that's going to be provided, what the details of those shows are going to be, but just hearing that blew your minds right away that wow, this is that's big, that's huge that they're going to be churning out all that content in the next few years. And then they talked about how there's going to be 15 live action Disney animated and 15 Pixar films along with 15 all new Disney live action and features directly released On Disney Plus. So right away, they're putting all their focus and consolidating it onto streaming, onto their streaming service. So even though Disney is focused on Disney Plus, it's not the only major thing that they really were talking about. And they made sure to reference at the beginning of their investor that they're focusing on Disney Plus, but they're also focusing on the theaters. And again, towing that line. And they announced that Riot and the Last Dragon is going to take a page out of the Mulan's book and go to Disney Premier Access while also going into theaters on march 5th I, yes, march 5th of next year so ryan the last dragon will be coming out in theaters and disney premiere access so you will be having to pay a 30 dollars surcharge if you want to see it at home on disney plus or you can go to the theaters if their theaters open around you and if you feel safe enough going to a movie theater. So that was, again, I think a big thing where I think in the beginning, people were worried that maybe Disney was going to go with the route of, we're going to be putting everything on Disney plus, even doing this hybrid release. And Ryan was a little bit of, of a concern about that. However, as the, the, the investor meeting went on you could clearly tell that again a lot of the stuff that they announced was for disney plus but they did release and share tidbits of some films that will be made for theatrical and reconfirmed that some of their bigger films like some of their films from the mcu some star wars content will be made exclusively for the theater so again they kept that line toad of a lot of what we're focusing on in streamlining is our streaming service but we're also we also know that we are huge in the theatrical exhibition and we were keeping some of our bigger films in play for the theaters so i think overall that's really where the day came from and from then on out it just became bomb after bomb after bomb and disney investor day was really an investor day mixed with a, a level like event of like a hall h comic con or a d23 where news was just coming one after the other i couldn't tweet, everything, because it was just one thing was coming out after the other. And, and once I was done writing about one thing, the next thing was coming up. So I had to focus on a lot of stuff. So I made sure to kind of recap everything as, as they came in sections. And that's really what they did when it came to the, the middle of their investor, where after they talked about Hulu and, and ESPN Plus and a lot of their other stuff, they went into a lot of the, the film the, the the major companies like Pixar, Disney Animation, Disney Live Action, and of course, Lucasfilm, Star Wars, and Marvel. And that is really where we're going to start today. So I'm going to hold off on talking about the Star Wars stuff and... The Marvel stuff until the end because that's the big stuff that people really wanted to hear about so I'm going to save those things for last but I'm going to recap real quick the the Disney stuff first from their own stuff so the Disney live action stuff that they announced and again a lot of it was for Disney plus when it came to their live action slate so after a lot of rumors that came out uh, over the last few months and really the last year or so it was announced that Hocus Pocus 2 will be making its way to Disney Plus. They're also coming out with the Three Men and a Baby reboot with Zac Efron attached for a Disney Plus release in 2022. There's going to be a biopic film on both The Greek Freak and CP3 coming to Disney Plus. They also announced that Cheaper by the Dozen is getting rebooted with a multiracial cast that is going to star Gabrielle Union. Diary of a Wimpy Kid is getting a reboot coming in animated form, not live action form as it did years ago. We're also going to be getting Ice Age Adventures of Buck and Wild where we're going to have those possum twins from the other films along with Buck coming in for a new adventure in a spin-off film. Simon Pegg will be reprising his role as Buck. So basically Also, within this Investor Day and these announcements, you really kind of started to see the blend happening between the 20th century studio properties mixing in with Disney, and this was one of the latest examples, along with a brand new Night of the Museum film that will be animated instead of live action with Sean Levy producing. And then Disney got into some films that would be made theatrically. And again, this was where they said, even though a lot of this stuff is for disney plus we still acknowledge that theatrical is a big portion of our business so they announced that jungle cruise with Dwayne the rock johnson and emily blunt will be staying in theaters for july of next year the lion king prequel with barry jenkins directing is underway as well and they also officially finally announced the full cast of of the Little Mermaid, which we all kind of knew after many reports of what the cast was going to look like. Halle Berry will be playing Ariel. Aquafina will be in it. Davy Diggs, Jacob Tremblay, Melissa McCarthy will be playing Ursella, and of course Javier Bardem. Bardem, excuse me, will be playing King Trident with Rob Marshall, who directed Mary Poppins Returns, coming in to direct this musical. And then we got an announcement that there will be a live-action animated hybrid Chip and Dale movie with Andy Samberg and John Mulaney with Seth Rogen cameoing. That'll be coming out in the spring of 2022. And then we got back into the Disney Plus stuff, where we heard rumors that some of the live theatrical films that were coming out would make their way over to Disney Plus in order to kind of conglomerate it down and sift which ones can we make for Disney Plus, which ones can we release in theaters. And the two that are making their way to Disney Plus is Pinocchio with Robert Zemeckis directing along with Tom Hanks, where according to some of the details, they will be using state-of-the-art CGI for the making of Pinocchio. And also the David Lowry directed Peter Pan and Wendy will be making its way to Disney Plus as well with Jude Law playing Captain Hook and Cruella. While it wasn't announced that they will be, it will be coming on Disney Plus. It sounded like Cruella with Emma Stone, which kind of seems like it's going to be the origin story of the very famous 101 Dalmatians villain Cruella De Vil, will be making its way into theaters where it was announced at d23 and then some surprise announcements that came into play was enchanted 2 was announced where it'll instead of being called enchanted 2 it'll be titled disenchanted it'll be coming on disney plus and it will be seeing amy adams reprise the role from about more than a decade ago that was a very famous disney film that came out and another big announcement that came out was the sequel for the sister act sister act 3 will be coming back with Whoopi Goldberg coming back into the lead role with Tyler Perry coming on as a producer. So again, for the Disney live action just alone, a lot of stuff was geared toward Disney Plus, but some of it was made for theatrical. So keeping that balance going. Of again, there's a lot of stuff we're streamlining to Disney Plus, but we know where we want to go with theaters, and we still want to stay with theaters. And then they went into Walt Disney animation. And of course, I talked about a little bit before Raya and the Last Dragon and the head of Disney Animation, Jennifer Lee, who was the director on the two Frozen films, came out and talked about some of the things that they will be getting into. She talked about what was talked about at the top of the investor meeting where about Raya and the Last Dragon. And she got into the whole thing with Disney Premiere Access, but she also got into the film itself talking about the character of Raya and some of the, the supporting cast that will be revolved around her, such as characters like Boone, a, a giantin and a thriving ty- a toddler named Noi. And we also got really kind of the first official look at the dragon that will be voiced by Aquafina. And Jennifer Lee talked about it as being beautiful and bold and seeing this new content and also seeing knowing the first trailer that came out about a month or two ago. I am very excited to see what Ryan the Last Dragon has in store. So again, that is going to be coming out on Disney Plus and going the Premier Access route on the streaming service while also being in theaters as well. And that was really the only title announcement that came with that hybrid to it, where it was going to be Disney Premier Access, where you have to pay 30 additional dollars for the movie like Mulan, or you could go see it in theaters. That was the only film that had that attachment to it and then after Ryan the last dragon they went into a lot of spin-off animated shows from a lot of their popular library content of films over the last few years and really kinds of shows that the, a lot of these sequel spin-off shows to these highly popular films are going to be very very essential to getting in that younger dem- demographic onto Disney Plus so they announced that a Baymax show is confirmed that the series is going to be a continuation of the movie. It's gonna focus on Baymax's protocol and it will feature new patients every episode and that Baymax will have a new feature for new patients to you utilize and we'll kind of show him as being that kind of protocol droid that is a caretaker instead of this badass action fighter that we got to know him in in big hero 6 and that is said for an early release in 2022 and then they went on to talk about that there will be a short form show called dootopia plus which will be focused on the supporting animals and their lives and that'll be made for spring of 2022 there's going to be a long form musical comedy series called tiana which will be showcasing the character from the princess and the frog so you'll be seeing more of that character and more of that world in new orleans and that is set to be coming out in 2023 and then they will be focusing on another disney princess specifically moana and it'll be a musical comedy show that is in development it'll bring back the character of moana and that is set to come out in 2023 and then there was another interesting show that is coming out. And it is it is a mixture and a hybrid of bringing kind of cultural ethnicity to Walt Disney Animation. And it's called Iwu Ewu. And basically, that is a Nigerian for the future, and it's going to be set in Lagos, or Lagos, excuse me, rather, and it'll have this sci-fi element to it. And they showcase this cool concept art for it, and the, the creators behind the show, and seeing all of it and hearing the description of what the show could be, it definitely had inclinations of Black Panther where it was Wakanda, where it has very indigenous, religious types, where it's definitely spiritual, but at the same time, it is very futuristic. They they believe in science. It is very cultured, and, and it has that kind of mixture together like Wakanda does. So it looked very intriguing to me, and I'm excited to see what they do with that one in 2022. And then to wrap it all up, they announced their next Disney animated film after Raya and the Last Dragon, set to come out in 2022. It is the recently rumored film that people were talking about, and that is Encanto. And it is going to be a musical film set around Colombia and the Colombian culture. It is going to be directed by Brian Howard, Charlize Castro, Smith, and Jared Smith. And of course, it'll have music directed and and produced by the one and only Lin-Manuel Miranda. So that sounds like it's gonna be a lot of fun. Again, Disney animation and and even Pixar as well, which I'm gonna talk about in a second trying to really delve into more culturally ethnical societies in their animated films right now, which I think is exciting, it's inclusive, and gets people to see cultures from all around the world. So I'm really excited to see what Disney Animation does with that. And along with Raya and the Last Dragon, it seems like Disney Animation is going back to original films right now. Same thing with what Pixar is setting up to do in the next few years, which speaking of Pixar, they started off the their panel by talking about their next film, which will be set on Disney Plus, no additional charge, straight up, just on their streaming service. That is Disney Pixar Soul, which was directed by Peter Doctor, who is the really the CEO, the the overseer of everything going on over at Pixar right now. So they started off with that. And then they kind of talked about some of the short form shows that are going to be coming in the next few months on Disney Plus. They talked about their, their Spark shorts, which one will be attached alongside Soul in the next few weeks. They also talked about new episodes coming out for Inside Pixar, which basically kind of gives you the inner workings of the animation studio. It focuses on one specific person, every single episode of what they do, how they got involved with Pixar, what they're working on, how they work on it. it, it it's very reminiscent of what they did with the Frozen 2 documentary, of, of how they made that animated film in its final year before it was released in theaters. So it's one that I definitely recommend checking out and it seems like they have more episodes coming down the pipeline in the next few months. And then he announced a brand new kind of short form collaboration and that was Pixar Popcorn where it's going to be kind of these quick form stories with all these cool animated characters that we know from other Pixar films and it is set to come out in january and then he's talked about these other short form shows from some of their highly acclaimed films that'll be spinning off into the sequel series the first one focused on a few up characters specifically the dog doug and carl and this show is going to be called doug days and is written directed by the people that did the one of the first disney plush show shows even though it was short form in forky Ass a question so these people are going to be working on These little mini adventures with Doug, who lives with Carl, it's set after the events of Up and is set to release in fall of next year. And then they announced that there is going to be a car spinoff show that will focus on everyone's favorite car drivers, Lightning McQueen and Mater. And it will be filled with new destinations and characters, along with some of the older characters that we know from Radiator Springs as well. And that is set to debut in the fall of 2021 too. And those are going to be the short form shows that maybe probably 16 minutes long, but aren't really full-on, maybe 30, 35-minute shows, that's going to come in a brand new long-form animated show that they are working on, specifically titled Win or Lose. It is about a co-ed middle school softball team, and each episode will follow different players in each of the episodes. It's from these young animators, I forget their names, that are working at Pixar right now, and it is set for fall of 2023 three and before Peter pete doctor wrapped up his pixar panel just like what disney animated film did and also what the disney live action films did they teased out some of their new films that are going to be coming out in the next year or two and the first one is going to be the first disney pixar film of next year or rather after Disney Pixar Soul, and that is Luca, which was already announced a few months ago. It is going to be a love letter to Italy. It's about these two boys that are, seems like they're spending the summer in Italy, eating food, exploring the Italian culture. And it seems like it has this mythic element to it as well. And it is set to debut in June of 2021. And that is the only Pixar film that is announced right now to come out next year. So that is the big Pixar film that they put it in the summertime. That is the one that they are banking on and it seems like Luca is the Pixar film of 2021. But that's not where they ended it there. They did announce that 2022, like 2020, will have two Pixar films coming out in that year. And the first one that Pete Doctor talked about was Turning Red, which is about this awkward teenager named May, who in a twist, whenever she gets emotional or angry, she all of a sudden poofs into this giant like creature and he called it kind of a coming age story with a little bit of a twist to it and it'll be coming out around the spring of 2022 probably like onward where it'll be out march april at the beginning of the year and then peter doctor closed it all out with the biggest title i think the biggest news coming out of the pixar panel and that is a spin-off from the Toy Story franchise in Lightyear, which will be taking on the definitive origin story of Buzz Lightyear and kind of I think the person or I think the person or being that inspired the toy that would become Buzz Lightyear that we see end up in Andy's room. And instead of having Tim Allen voice Buzz Lightyear, it's going to be Chris Evans. Captain America himself will be voicing this iteration, this younger iteration of Lightyear, which I think a lot of people were wondering, and I I was wondering as well, well, how can we just don't get Tim Allen back? And I think, again, this isn't like it's the Buzz Lightyear that we all know. It's a different version of that character that I think inspires the toy that everyone wants to buy in the first Toy Story film. So... I think to get Chris Evans on, it's smart and the animation just from that one shot alone, that one picture that we saw, it looks gorgeous. You could just see how cinematic it looks, just how crisp and crystal. You can see all the details on the spacesuit. It looked amazing. There was only one image, so I'm excited to see what they do with this, with this film. And moving forward. But I think overall, again, it was a mixture and a hybrid of we have some of this stuff that we're streamlining for Disney Plus, but we have content that is going to be just for the theatrical landscape. Specifically, it seems like Disney Pixar films, even though Soul is going to Disney Plus, Disney Pixar films will be staying in the theatrical landscape for right now. So I think that was exciting news to hear about. And overall, I think this is exciting stuff. I think their short form stuff has worked. They've got great critical acclaim on some of their Spark shorts, like the one that just came out a few months ago. Without, where it's about this gay couple that his parents were helping him wrap up, and he wants to tell him that he's gay. But and so it's about that story, and a lot of them have really garnered some great critical acclaim over the last few months. And that's just what Pixar does. They're they're great animators, but overall, above all else, they're great storytellers. They tell stories for all ages. And I think the fact that they're telling new original content while also leaning into the IPs that they've created is very smart. Because the one thing that you want to get into with these these shows is that you want to get people interested in them. And you want to get people to say, oh, well, there's this car show out. Why, why don't I check it out with my son or my daughter? And I think that's what Disney is hoping for when retaining all of these IPs while still showing some original content that will make their way into theaters. And then who knows, maybe later on down the line, if Luca becomes a great hit, they have a spin-off show of something within the world of Luca on Disney+. Plus, So I think that is the strategy that Pixar is going with with their content. So those were the three that I wanted to get out of the way first. It's the stuff that not a lot of people are gonna be talking about because the last two, or really the two that people were just talking about from beginning to end was of course the Lucasfilm slash Star Wars panel and the Marvel Studios panel that ended The entire night with a huge bang. So I'm gonna start with the Lucasfilm Star Wars content first. And then I'm going to end it all on, of course, the Marvel Studios panel, which gave such a ton of information, and so did the Lucasfilm panels. And before I get into the Star Wars stuff, Lucasfilm did announce some of some other non-Star Wars content that they're going to be working on. The first one was one that was announced a few weeks ago by deadline that they are working on a sequel to the, 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 the film of the 80s, Willow, with Warwick Davis, and that it's going to be a sequel set 30 years ago from the first film and that they're going to be shooting in Wales and then of course the next thing that they talked about was Indiana Jones finally giving us an update of where this film is going to go what is going to not encompass it we don't know a lot of the plot details but the fact that they did announce this officially is good and they did announce that James Mangold will be taking over from Steven Spielberg to write and direct this movie and that Harrison Ford will be coming back to reprise the role of Indiana Jones. And the big stinger to all this, that I don't think a lot of people are really talking about, is that this will apparently be the final Indiana Jones film. Kathleen Kennedy herself specifically said Harrison Ford will be returning to the role of Indiana Jones for the final time. This will be the final film in the Indiana Jones franchise. Whether that remains true or not, if this film, A, does actually happen, and B, does turn out to be a hit, we'll just have to wait and see because again money does speak many volumes for a successful franchise so we'll see what happens with this film but i think the fact that we got details and the fact that a it's going to start principal photography in spring of 2021 and will be released in 2022 is a step in the right direction for all the years we've been hearing about the making of an indiana jones film but it just never came to fruition so this is the closest thing that we have gotten to it And now that it's been officially confirmed by the woman herself, I think it's going to actually happen. I think this is really going to happen, and we got Harrison Ford back. James Mangold is a great filmmaker, so I'm excited to see what he brings to this franchise, and we'll see where it goes from here. And if we know anything about James Mangold, he knows how to craft a farewell send-off to an iconic character. Just watch the film Logan, enough said. But moving on from the Lucasfilm non-Star Wars stuff to a galaxy far, far away, I loved what we got from the Star Wars panel. Just an overall thought of everything that came out. If you are, and I said this on Twitter, if you are a Star Wars fan, this is gold. This is, this is a day of celebration, or really a day after celebration, everything you got from a galaxy far, far away. Because ever since Disney bought Lucasfilm, You've been looking for this to be your Marvel Studios, to to really have like a Hall H panel or a D twenty three panel where Kevin Feige or Kathleen Kennedy comes out and announces all of this new content that you would that you want to get excited for. And Unfortunately, over the last few years, even though at Star Wars celebrations, when you have the sequel films come out and they and they capture the day for a little bit, you don't have that that panel where it's like, okay, this is what we're going to be doing for the next few years. You never really had that. It would just kind of come along as it went. I think people were always clamoring for that. And finally, last night, it happened where you finally got that big panel where you get excited for the future of the franchise that you love and boy did kathleen kennedy and lucasfilm deliver on some exciting stuff to look forward to in the star wars universe so we're gonna run it down real quick from the top and what came out first that a lot of people were no surprise about was, of course, The Mandalorian, which, again, is, is the big the big thing for Disney Plus right now. It's a big thing for Star Wars, and they started it off with that kind of recapping what we got so far in Season 2 we, from ep- Episode 1 all the way to Episode 6 since today's episode didn't come out just yet. So we got all that, and then right after that little recap trailer came out, we got the, we got announcements, and Kathleen Kennedy did announce, after rumors and rumors of what Mandalorian characters are going to be spun off, we finally got the announcement that we are going to be getting two spinoff shows from the world of The Mandalorian. We're going to be getting a Rangers of the New Republic show, and we're going to finally get a live action Ahsoka show with Rosario Dawson coming back to the role after debuting in episode five of the season of The Mandalorian, and Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni will be executive producing both shows with Dave Filoni being a writer on the Ahsoka Tanu show. And all shows will be interconnected leading up to this big main story arc that we're going to get. So basically, if you're a fan of The Mandalorian and you're looking at what has been established in this second season, that we're getting to some kind of end game and everything's kind of being built towards something, it seems like Favreau and Filoni are kind of developing their own mini endgame Infinity Saga type of thing with that little corner of the Star Wars universe with Mandalorian so there was a lot to be excited about with that the fact that Rosaria Dawson is coming back for Ahsoka. I think people became went on became on board with it and know who Ahsoka is and will have time to watch Clone Wars again, to watch Rebels, and really become invested in this Ahsoka Tano character that when her live action series comes out, people will be excited for what she is going to do. And as for Rangers of the New Republic, right away thinking about it, it's it's a card dune show. And we've heard for a long time that Gina Carano could come back as Cardoon in her own spinoff show. And seeing where her character is and what happens to her character in season two, of Mandalorian*, it's it's clear that she is going to be a part of that show. And people have been wondering that maybe we could get Boba Fett, we could get Finnick a part of this season uh, or this new show. That could very well happen. But I think some of the things that have been established in this season of *Mando* could very well play into range of the new public that some People are branching off and saying there's something not right going on in the galaxy, and that could help lead into what eventually will become the, the the new resistance or the resistance in the sequel trilogy of Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and Rise of Skywalker. So I think all that will be culminating to something great that people are looking forward to. And then Kathleen Kennedy after that talked about stagecraft, which is the technology that is utilized of making the volume For the Mandalorian. And she announced that they're building three more additional stages, one in Los Angeles, one in in I think Europe, and another one in 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 I think another two are are being made in Europe. I just don't know specifically where, but I know one of them is definitely being made an additional one in Los Angeles. And seeing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff where they showed a lot of the behind the scenes of this season of the Mandalorian and how they utilize the the volume is just Amazing. It's absolutely amazing what they were able to do with this show. And again, it's going to be exciting to see what they come up with and how they utilize the volume for all these other shows that were announced, along with Ranger of the New Republic and Ahsoka. And then after that came a whole lot more announcements on the television side of things. And the first one that came out after Range of the New Republic and Ahsoka was the announcement of the Cassian Andor show, which is officially titled Star Wars Andor. It's coming out in 2021 and it'll be showrun by Tony Gilroy, who was a part of the creation of Rogue One. So he knows the Cassian Andor characters work with Diego Luna and he obviously had a hand, and Kathleen Kennedy specifically said this. He had a hand in the Bourne franchise, which he did. So it brings that spy genre element, which they want to utilize with this show. Diego Luna will be back, reprising, of course, his role as Cassian Andor, along with a slew of new characters and cast members. Specifically pointing out Stellan Skarsgård and Fiona Shaw to be more specific. The only the character that we didn't hear, surprisingly, in this announcement, but we heard last year at D23 was Alan, Alan Tudyk as K2SO again. And we didn't hear that this time around. So I don't know if during the process over the last year when they were writing this and coming up with the scripts that they took that character out or maybe they were holding off for it to be a surprise when the show comes out or going to announce it later on. I don't know. But that was one thing that surprised me that they left. They specifically did not name that actor and character coming back even though we did hear about it a year ago. Or a year plus at D23 in 2019. And then after that, we I should preference this, really kind of giving a backstory where throughout all of Disney Investor Day, whenever they cut to sizzle stuff, if you weren't an investor, you didn't really get to see a lot of that stuff. They would just kind of cut to this, this home screen where they would have trivia and kind of count down until they went back to the announcement panel. So my thinking was, we're not going to get a whole lot of this stuff. And, and when the Kathleen Kennedy said, and here's a little bit of a clip, I thought we were going to go to the, the screen again. But they didn't. They actually showed it, not to just the investors, but to everyone that was watching. And they released it online as well and it's basically a sizzle reel behind the scenes of the beginning of creating this show which Kathleen Kennedy did preface by saying before announcing the sizzle reel that they are they they started shooting principal photography 2 weeks ago so they're just getting started on shooting this show and you could kind of see that even though the volume has become this huge technological achievement that Mandalorian has done, it seems like Andor is gonna be going back to a lot of the practical effects, building sets and costumes, and kind of the feel of what we got when we first saw Rogue One and what they were utilizing. On that film, and Cassian Andor, not Cassian Andor, but Diego Luna said that this is really going to be the start of the the revolution, the beginning of the rebellion, and I think one of the really good things and and interesting things about Rogue One was kind of seeing the gray area between the rebellion and how we always knew the rebellion to be the good guys, and they are the good guys, but... (laughs) There's a cost that comes with war, and you have to make decisions that aren't as light as you would think them to be. That's not just black and white. It's there's a gray area, and I think that's what Cassie and Andor is going to be explore in this series, and it's going to be twelve episodes. I don't know if they're going to be half hour, if they're going to be full hour, 12 episodes. Oh, I have no idea, but seeing the graphic art and it kind of in live action form a little bit and being utilized in a motion technology way, it looked awesome. It looked really cool. I wasn't always on board with this show, and, and I'm still on the fence a little bit, but I'm trending upwards to being interested in seeing what this show is. And again, all that's left now is just seeing footage, which I'm sure we're going to get sometime next year in the middle, probably around the summertime of 2021 as they continue to film this show. And then after the announcement of Andor, we got a lot more details on what is officially being titled as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi, the spinoff show of the the very well known Jedi of Obi Wan is getting his own spin off show. Ewan McGregor is coming back. And Kathleen Kennedy gave a whole lot of details on this show, specifically that Obi Wan Kenobi will be taking place 10 years after Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. And in even bigger news, she did announce that the one and only Hayden Christensen will be coming back, reprising his role as anakin skywalker slash darth vader she specifically said he will be coming back and playing darth vader and she labeled it as the rematch of the century so we will be getting a lightsaber duel between the both of them once again and that production is beginning to ramp up and will officially begin in the month month of march of next year deborah chow will be directing every single one of the episodes which i am excited about because in season one of the mandalorian she directed arguably the two best episodes of that premiere season so i'm excited that she gets her hands really dirty on this i think what is going to become the the biggest highest profile show in the next few years. Mandalorian has become that now but when you come to name brands actors well known people in the Star Wars lore Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to shoot up there and I, I can't think of anyone else that can handle that pressure more so than Deborah Chow so I'm really excited to see what she does in this in this in this show and the fact that we get Hayden Christensen back is exciting and refreshing and new and is it's, it's just exciting and I think for him to, to be redeemed in this kind of way that he's being accepted back into the graces of of Star Wars fans again. And he gets to reprise potentially Anakin and flashback sequences of fleshing out the friendship of these two. And also seeing him, even though we won't see his face, but knowing that he is behind the Vader mask is awesome and so, so cool. And I can't wait to see what they do. And a big question that comes up to me is even though Anakin is going to be, and and Hayden Christensen is going to be behind the mask, do they get James Earl Jones to voice Darth Vader once again? Will he come back? Because it seems like Darth Vader, Anakin, is going to have a prominent role in this show. It's not like where it's going to be Rogue One, where he shows up in an episode or two and that's it, or he shows up for a minute or two or for a lightsaber fight and that's it. He's going to have a very prominent role in this show. And so for me, that is the most exciting part. And I'm really wondering what they're going to do. But this show, to me, I was already excited for it. I love Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, as a lot of people do. And I want to see more of Obi-Wan and and what he did between... Uh, Episode 3 in A New Hope. So to see this kind of formulate and the fact that we get Hayden Christensen back and all this great stuff is exciting. So I'm really excited to see where they go with this show. And then moving on from the Obi-Wan franchise, after we got a little bit of that information, we didn't get any footage of it, but again, we did get some information about it. We moved on to the animated show that will be acting as the sequel to Star Wars The Clone Wars, which wrapped up earlier this year. And that will be star wars the bad batch it'll follow clone force 99 as they move around an ever-changing galaxy after the events of order 66 where they didn't i guess have the implant chips in them so they have not become under the influence of the newly formed empire so it's probably about them finding a place within this world now that there is no more clone wars what is their purpose and seeing the trailer Dave Filoni is behind this. It looks like a Dave Filoni show where it's going to have pop-ups of different figures from the Star Wars universe, different planets that we're going to see. Cool action. It seems like Ming-Na Wen's character from Mandalorian Finnick is part of this show as we saw kind of that visor which she wore in chapter six of this past season and we see we get Palpatine Sidious kind of doing his little monologue from episode three where he says the Republic's gonna be reorganized by the first galactic empire where he has all these troopers at his command it, it looks it looks fun and it looks interesting and again I, I'm always loving Dave Filoni's Animated shows again, knowing what he did in Rebels and Clone Wars, this gets me excited, and I can't wait to see what they do. So, definitely a confidence booster, and definitely a cool animated show that I think will kick off Star Wars in 2021. And then we got this really interesting little announcement from Kathleen Kennedy about Star Wars Visions, which are going to be the short form anime. Creations And it'll be fantastic visions from Japanese anime within the Star Wars universe. And, and I thought that was really cool. Again, expanding the world of Star Wars in different formats. And as far as I know, I've never seen Japanese anime done on Star Wars content. So I think that's going to be interesting and exciting. It fits, uh, obviously... Star Wars is inspired by by Samurai films and Akira Kurosawa films, so I definitely am excited to see what they do with Star Wars Visions and what they do going about it. And then after the Star Wars Visions announcement, it was brought to us that there will be a brand new lando show coming about in the star wars universe not any information if if it'll be billy d williams or donald glover reprising his role from solo but we did get an announcement on a showrunner who it'll be justin simeon from dear white people who will be helming this show and it was labeled as an event show which like obi-wan kenobi is an event show so it'll probably just be a one-off series will just be a few episodes detailing this adventure venture that maybe Lando goes on and we'll go from there. So there's a lot of again a lot of speculation of if it is Donald Glover, do we get the characters a Solo back in like an Alden Ehrenreich or an Amelia Clark? Or if it's Billy D. Williams, do we get Naomi Aki back into the situation? And, and does it follow her storyline with, with Billy D. Williams after Rise of Skywalker? Is it is it a mixture of both? I there's a lot more questions and answers with this, but again, getting the announcement that we're getting a Lando show is cool. And, and I love the logo for it. It has the Lando colors on there where the, the yellow is acting as the outliner, the blue is Lando, and the Star Wars is red. It's it's perfect, and it gets me interested it, again even though there's not a lot of information it gets you excited for what is coming about and then there was an announcement of another animated show that is coming following a new character along with r2d2 and c3po on this epic adventure called A Droid Story. And it said it cute and interesting, and it seems like it's going to be combining CGI animation on this show. So, sounds interesting. I'm, I'm a big fan of C-3PO and R2D2. And do we get, again, Anthony Daniels coming back for A Droid Story? If C-3PO is in it, nobody else has ever voiced C-3PO in anything. I think even in The Clone Wars, C-3PO was voiced by Anthony Daniels. And... Even in the Star Wars Lego Stars holiday special, Anthony Daniels came in for not even a scene or two of dialogue for that 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 little holiday special, which is quite cute. I highly recommend it on Disney Plus, especially around the holiday times, but that's not what we're here to talk about right now. We still got a lot more Star Wars content to get into. And the last Disney Plus show that was announced. Star Wars is one that I think is just jumped right onto my anticipation list just by the description alone. And this comes from the showrunner Russian Doll, which I talked about months ago when it was announced that she was doing her own Star Wars show. And it seems like her Star Wars show is going to be called Acolyte. And it is going to be a mystery thriller set within the final days of of the High Republic era showcasing potentially the dark side of the force. And this is really our first indication that we're going to get live action format content throughout the High Republic era, which is going to be a huge factor starting next year where we're going to get brand new books and comics And all kinds of new stuff detailing the High Republic, which is said 200 years before the events of the Phantom Menace. So the fact that we're already getting new live action stuff within that era is really exciting. And it gives an indication that even though we're in this little subspace right now of the Mandalorian is taking place between episode 6 and episode 7. And we're still going back to... The stuff in between episode three and episode four, we still have a lot of other areas that we haven't covered yet. And it seems like that area of the High Republic is one that is really going to to be a heavy focus in the coming years for Star Wars. So that was it when it came to the Disney Plus stuff. But again, like the other presentation panels, Kathleen Kennedy announced two new films that will be coming out theatrically. And the first one, not a lot of information, just kind of a reconfirmation that Taika Waititi is working on a brand new Star Wars film. He's writing it as of right now. And they I don't know if this is going to be the official logo, but there was a weird, funky Star Wars logo that is that feels like Taika Waititi created it. And there was this beautiful, luscious concept art that I think is maybe a part of what Taika's film is going to be. There's not a lot of information about it. It just was this cool, beautiful space. Space shot, and that was pretty much it. And I'm sure we won't get a whole lot more information until Taika's done with Thor: Love and Thunder, which we'll talk about in the Marvel panel. Kevin Feige did give an update on it, so once that's done, I'm sure Taika Waititi will be working hard on his Star Wars film. But that was just basically a reconfirmation. There were no other details about it. The next, the last film and announcement that she gave about Star Wars was the surprise and. That is going to be the next film from Star Wars. And it was announced that it is going to be called Rogue Squadron. It's gonna be about these these fighter pilots that are trying to earn their wings and seem like they go on these really daring missions. It, It felt and reminded me the description of basically Star Wars version of Top Gun in a way. And that wasn't the surprise announcement, nor was it the surprise announcement that this is going to be the next film in Star Wars coming out theatrically in Christmas 2023. The big surprise is who they brought on to helm this project. And that is none other than the Wonder Woman herself, Patty freaking Jenkins. Patty Jenkins is moving from one blockbuster franchise right into another, as this is going to be her next project that she is working on and if you follow patty jenkins on twitter i highly recommend watching the announcement video that she put on after kathleen kennedy announced and announced this, this this content this announcement it is awesome and cool and she kind of gives this personal anecdote for why she wanted to make this specific film within star wars where her it, it has a deep emotional connection with her in the terms of being a fighter pilot and being a a, a a, a pilot in general, and that she had family involved in it. So it, this is really going to be a personal film for Patty Jenkins while also getting to be involved in the Star Wars universe. So we are getting our first Star Wars film since The Rise of Skywalker on Christmas, and it seems like from what Kathleen Kennedy talked about, it's going to be set in a future sense of Star Wars, whether that's in a The High Republic or whether that's in between... Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, or if we're finally going to get new stuff after The Rise of Skywalker, which I think down the line, I think people are going to want to start wondering what happens after The Rise of Skywalker. But maybe that is when Rogue Squadron takes place. It's based off of these legend books that came out years and years ago. But again, this is just, it's exciting. A, this sounds like Star Wars' version of Top Gun, and they get a well-renowned director who knows how to work within franchise filmmaking and is an exceptional director herself and Patty Jenkins. And she becomes the first woman breaking more history to direct a feature Star Wars film. Deborah Chow beat Patty Jenkins to it and being the first woman to direct Star Wars content period but Patty Jenkins will be the first woman to direct a feature film set in the Star Wars universe and and I am just so excited it really was a surprise I was not expecting that nobody saw that coming completely out of left field and you wonder now because I think she still has some more press to go if people start asking her about this and if she gives more information because again it's still a few years away from happening but once one Wonder Woman 1984 is done and I'm sure she's been working on it because Wonder Woman 1984 has been locked really probably for the last year or so ever since 2020, 2020 started. I'm sure she's been working on this film for the last few months probably and and will still continue to work on it for the next years or so. So again this is going to be her next, her next film moving from DC to Star Wars and again like the other panels... A lot of Disney Plus content, which is great, but also some things set in the Star Wars universe. And one thing that really surprised me and and I loved about this panel was, again, the fact that Star Wars is focusing on interconnectedness, but also branching out new, creative, fun Content and the things about the films that people were wondering is: Is it going to be trilogy stuff? Are we going to get a new connected trilogy or whatnot? But it sounds like each of these films, from the Taika film to this Rogue Squadron with Patty Jenkins behind the helm, are going to be their own standalone films. That maybe they get a sequel down the line, but they're just they're just one film right now. And I think that's exciting. Where it could just be a one-off for all we know with these movies. And that's exciting. I think that's exciting with all this Star Wars content. Is that they're moving past the sequels now? I think those are done. You can have those characters come back down the line, but they're focusing on all this great Star Wars content. And again, I've criticized Patty Jenkins over the years for the direction of Star Wars. And today I got to call a spade a spade. She. She killed it. She delivered. And I think if people were wondering, is she going to leave? She might leave in the next few years. But right now, she is back on that high with Star Wars. Star Wars is now going to be back on a level where it always was supposed to be right up on there with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we had that for a few years with the sequel trilogy. But it died down as the years went on. But I think it's on that high again, and people are happy with Star Wars. I'm certainly happy, and I went to bed. I was already excited about The Mandalorian, but it, it, I was excited for The Mandalorian and knowing that there's a future for Star Wars again. Because people have always been wondering, what's next for Star Wars? What's coming after the sequel trilogy? What's, with, what's coming alongside Mandalorian? And we got all that now. I think it's exciting. It gets people reinvested, and Star Wars is... Getting back to that pinnacle of fandom that we all know it to be. And it started with The Mandalorian. It's going to continue with The Mandalorian. And it's going to continue with all these amazing shows and movies that are coming out in the next few years. So bravo to Lucasfilm, to Kathleen Kennedy on knocking it out of the park with Star Wars. And I can't wait to see what they do in the years to come. It's gonna be exciting. I think Star Wars has reinvigorated excitement back into the fan base, and it all started yesterday with that incredible panel that, again, fans, I think, have been clamoring for that panel, and you always see the big screenshot with Kevin Feige in the screen with all the announcements that he made with the big projects. Star Wars, for the first time, had that yesterday. I saw people retweet it and share it on Facebook and Twitter. For the first time, Star Wars had that, and Kathleen Kennedy, the entire screen filled up with not just Star Wars stuff, but some Lucasfilm stuff as well, but a lot of it, the Star Wars content, and once again, Star Wars is back at the pinnacle alongside franchises like the MCU. And speaking of the MCU, that is we are where we are going to conclude this recap of the Disney panel, along with this very well-extended episode of the Sam Bissell podcast. Again, I apologize for the long episode, guys, but again, there was so much stuff to talk about that we have one more thing to really get into and it's going to take a little bit to get through all of this too. And that is the Marvel Studios panel which again capped off the night. It capped off the evening when it comes to this content as it usually does. And Kevin Feige as always was the greatest showman, showing off and revealing some great anecdotes about Disney Plus shows, some updates on their films and where they're going in the future cuz Again, we always want to know a lot about Star Wars stuff, but with Marvel, they had already kind of laid out their Phase 4 plan last year before COVID-19. And once COVID hit, people were wondering, is it really going to upend a lot of their release plans? And it seemed like it did. They reworked a lot of stuff, but they're back on a path where unless COVID continues and they have to push back Black Widow and they have to push back Eternals and Shang-Chi next year, it seems like they have found a place where, and they said it, where... The stories that they have kind of had to mix up a little bit, it won't be spoiled now that if you watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which they announced release date in March, if you watch that, you don't have to know what happens in Black Widow in order to join, enjoy Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It, It doesn't have a lot of spoilers to it, so... I think that was exciting to hear and to see where they're going with a lot of these new Disney Plus shows, some brand new shows that we're hearing about for the first time, and of course updates on the movies. So to kick it all off is the first thing that is going to kick off the new era of the MCU, the first thing in Phase 4, and the first MCU show on Disney Plus, and that is WandaVision. And we got a brand new trailer for the show. And man, does it look bonkers. I mean, I thought the first trailer was just weird and crazy, but this takes the cake. I mean, you get that that television style format with the 50s sitcom and moving into the new era of 70s and that aspect ratio that feels like an old television and then all of a sudden you get right into that cinematic venture of the MCU that you know with the aspect ratio and the filmmaking quality and it just looks kooky and weird and completely new and different than anything we have ever seen in the MCU before it gets me excited to kind of see more of the chemistry relatedness Relationship between WandaVision. is Wanda in some kind of weird state. It seems like she's fighting with this government agency, but maybe they're fighting something within their community, and that they're trying to, the the government's trying to get in, but they can't. So there's a lot of different things, and I think right now they're kind of they're kind of changing our our, our perception of what could be going on to uh, avoid spoilers. So. Overall, I really dug what I saw with WandaVision, and I was always looking forward and interested to see what it would be, and man, I to kick off the new era of the MCU, what a way to do it with WandaVision. And then right after that, Kevin Feige did go into discussing kind of the interconnectedness that WandaVision will have, specifically with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, in which uh kevin feige i forgot the name for a sec kevin feige announced that dr strange in the multiverse of madness will be making its debut on march 25th of 2022 and it will also be confirmed that Rachel McAdams will be coming back, which was broken by deadline earlier before the Disney investor meeting, that Rachel McAdams is coming back, Benedict Juan, Chiwetel 4 and of course, Elizabeth Olsen will be coming on to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And also, before we moved on to the next Disney Plus show, Kevin Feige did announce that not not talking about Spider-Man 3 but he did hint that WandaVision, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man 3 3- will all connect in some way, shape, or form. So again, there's been a lot of speculation this week with Alfred Molina coming on as Doc Ock, potentially Kristen Dunst, Emma Stone, and Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, all coming back for the Spider-Man film. And it seemed like Kevin Feige didn't put out the flame of that rumor just yet, but maybe just added fuel to it that maybe, just maybe, there could be some credence to that, that Spider-Man will be exploring the multiverse in some way, shape, or form and then after all that he went on to talk about the second brand new disney plus show that will be coming out next year and that is the falcon and the winter soldier and we finally have a release date for it. after wondering if it'll come out in august of 2020 if it'll come out in summer of 2021 in the first quarter of 2021 we finally know that falcon and the winter soldier will be coming out on march 19th 2022 and kevin feige specifically said that this MCU show is basically going to be feel and be a Marvel Studios film broken up into six episodes. And that sounded intriguing to me. And that's what I thought this show was going to be. And this was my most highly anticipated MCU show that I was really looking forward to because I love the Captain America storyline. I love the characters of Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson. And even though they've been supporting throughout the films of Caps and the Avengers films, for them to finally get their own fit, own show and to see the, the banter between the two of them that we got inclinations of in Civil War and the, the last two Avengers movies, I'm really excited to see what they're going to do. And we finally got our first trailer for the show and it did not disappoint. It feels like a movie come to a television show, which I think is going to be insane because with WandaVision... Even though it it the, the the latter half of that trailer that came out last night did feel cinematic, it has that television quality to it because it's an homage to television. But with this, it did feel like what Kevin Feige was describing as to be a movie, a true MCU film akin to the Captain America movies, but on Disney Plus, and it looked gorgeous and beautiful. And I love the the character developments and the fact that Sam Wilson. It's not just easy as taking the shield and putting and becoming Captain America. It seems like the government stepped in and intervened, saying that Sam Wilson couldn't be Captain America. So he's still the Falcon. He has this awesome suit. And it seems like this show, this limited series, is going to be the journey of Sam Wilson coming into his own as Captain America and also accepting the mantle and becoming the mantle of the next Captain America from Steve Rogers and the weight that comes with being the man with the shield and Bucky Barnes looks awesome. I love the short haircut. I love the the, the robotic arm and the, again, the banter between the two of them. Seeing Baron Zemo, Daniel Brule back in this show, it just looks like so much fun. It goes back to that spy born Mission Impossible genre that I loved in The Winter Soldier, which still remains my number two MCU film to date. I love that movie. So to see what they're doing with this film is exciting. It's interesting. And I can't wait to see what they do with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So thumbs up for me. I'm really excited for what they do with that show. And then the next thing that they talked about was Kevin Feige going away from the television back into the, the, the film slate a little bit. And this was one of the big rumors and questions that was going forth in Black Widow, or I should say, it was Black Widow, and and people were wondering is is Disney going to do what they did with Ryan the Last Dragon and Mulan in which they'll do a Disney premiere access with it? Or are they going to just put it on Disney Plus? Or are they going to keep it in theaters? And it seems like right now, Kevin Feige did confirm that Black Widow will be exclusively put in theaters on May 7th, 2021. He didn't really go into a whole lot of new developments as we've seen trailers for it. We know what to expect. He just said, you know, we're going to come back with Scarlett Johansson for the next film and what to look forward to with that film. So, it was just a, like a quick update and basically reassuring fans and I think also reassuring st- stockholders and also exhibition people that might've been watching that don't worry, Black Widow will be coming in theaters. It won't be doing anything different or doing a hybrid. It will be coming exclusively to theaters. And after Black Widow, Kevin Feige went back into the Disney Plus vault and gave a thorough description of on what to expect with Loki, which will be starring Tom Hiddleston, and it'll be coming out in May of 2021. And it'll star Owen Wilson, Gugu Mimbatu raw is going to be in it as well. And Kevin Feige described this as jumping into a brand new genre that they haven't explored before, specifically saying it's going to be in the crime thriller genre, which honestly we haven't seen that before in the MCU. And to see that happen with Loki is exciting and again, Marvel, Disney surprised us with actually showing us, the audience, not just the stakeholders, all of us, footage, a sizzle reel of what to expect with Loki. And if I thought WandaVision was bonkers, this might have been a whole nother level of just craziness where it seems like it's gonna be dealing with space and different timelines and really connecting with the multiverse and different dimensions. It looks like crazy. There could be multiple Lokis in this show. Seeing Owen Wilson interact with Tom Edelson and the banter they have was really, really cool. The, the, the TVA, which is a time variance agency, which it seems like they deal with time travel. A whole lot seems to be really cool and interesting. And maybe we might get a reappearance of maybe Chris Hemsworth or Idris Elba in this where he name drops brother and Heimdall and the Bifrost comes in because people were surprised. Well, how is that happening? But again, this is a different universe. And also... This is a different Loki. This isn't the Loki that we knew in Ragnarok or Dark World or Endgame, Infinity War. Well, we knew in Endgame because when the Avengers time traveled to get the stones, they were dealing with the Loki that only went through up to the events of the first Avengers in New York. So that Loki still has Heimdall, still has Thor around. He still has those people. So it's a different timeline, different era. And just to kind of see all these different dimensions that Loki goes through, it looked crazy bonkers and Tom Hiddleston. And just hams it up all the time he just he embodies Loki now he is Loki and by the time this show does come out in May of 2021 whether it's in the beginning middle or end of the month in 2021 Thor came out in 2011 the first one he'll be playing that character for 10 years So he knows this character, he embodies this character, and we're still going to get new facets and avenues of this character that we haven't seen before, and that's so exciting. So I'm really intrigued by this trailer, and it was different than what I thought it was going to be, but I'm excited to see where they go with it, and that so far we have three straight disney plus shows coming out in a span of half a year we're not even they haven't they haven't announced anything for the second half of the year all of this is coming out in this in the first half of 2021 from january up until June. And then another show that we're getting in the summer of 2021 is What If, which is this animated show which showcases this mystical being called the Watcher, which takes all these scenarios from the 23 films that we've gotten so far, minus everything we're gonna see in phase four, but everything from Iron Man all the way up to Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home. And taking all these different situations and turning them on their heads so instead of captain america becoming taking the super soldier serum it's going to be peggy carter and it seems like she becomes britain's version of captain america we get a zombie captain america we get t'challa being star lord and and T'Challa being taught and grown up instead of Peter Quill by Yondu. And two Dr. Strangers, uh, not Strangers, Strangers fighting one another. We haven't seen that before. And the animation looks crisp and cool. So this seems like a cool anthology show that we haven't seen Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios do yet. And it seems like a whole lot of fun. So I'm definitely into it and I like what I saw and I, I can't wait for the show. And then Kevin Feige went back to the films and talked about Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Seven Rings and talked about the cast and announced more people that will be a part of it and some of the characters that they will be playing and also announced that filming has wrapped on the on the film and offered up the release date of July 9 2021 for Shang-Chi. And the Legend of the Ten Rings. So I'm excited about that. And again, exclusively two theaters on July 9th. So again, not doing a hybrid format. Not going to Disney Plus premiere access. Strictly in theaters on July 9th, 2021. Then he went on to discuss the other another Disney Plus show, Miss Marvel, and saying that talking about how they found their Miss Marvel. They went through online auditions because they found her this year. It wasn't like they found her last year. They went through the process this year. They found their Kamala Khan. And it seems like they started filming a few weeks ago. And again, they didn't just... Cut to a home screen for the Disney Investor Day. They gave us the fans, along with everybody else, a sizzle reel for Miss Marvel and showed us some snippets of footage that they have been filming so far. So it looks like they're again they're being authentic to the culture of Kamala Khan, who is who is a Muslim descent, and I think is really giving us more authenticity and, and ethnicity within these franchises and being more inclusive and going from Miss Marvel. to... To Captain Marvel 2, which Miss Marvel is a fan of Captain Marvel, obviously, which is why she takes that title. Kevin Feige announced that Captain Marvel 2 is in the works and did announce that. Miss Marvel will be appearing in this film alongside an older Monica Rambeau and reconfirmed that Nia DaCosta, who is directing the other uh, highly anticipated film coming out next year now in Candyman, will be directing the sequel to Captain Marvel. And again, it makes sense for Miss Marvel to be part of it. She's a fan of the, of the actual person of Captain Marvel, and seeing older Monica Rambeau is exciting. And the release date for Captain Marvel 2 has been changed being pushed back to november 11th of 2022 so a good release date for that film i think it came out in march last year and still grossed a billion dollars and again at this point any marvel film that comes out at any date doesn't matter it's still going to do and has done very very well over the years. so i think for captain marvel 2 to close out 2022 that's a good spot for it and then coming out a year prior to that is the brand new Chloe Zhao film, Eternals. Kevin Feige just gave us a little bit of an update on that. Nothing brand new, no footage, but just basically reconfirmed the cast and what to expect with that film. And also gave the release date exclusively in theaters on November 5th, 2021. And then he moved over to the Hawkeye show, which over the last week or so, because it started principal photography in New York City, has been gaining a lot of attention. And Kevin Feige basically confirmed... At this point, that Haley Steinfeld is actually playing the role of Kate Bishop. Haley Steinfeld came out came out on Instagram after the announcement, putting up a photo showing up her entire back of the of the Kate Bishop costume and which she's filming in New York City. Also announcing the casting of Vera Frigma as Kate Bishop's mother, but no announcement of Florence Pugh reprising her role in Hawkeye. So maybe Kevin Feige wants to hold off on that a little bit and make that maybe more of a little bit of a surprise. So the announcement came of Vera Frigma and Haley Steinfeld being in Hawkeye, but nothing of Florence Pugh coming in for Hawkeye. And he did give a release date for it, not a specific release date, but coming late 2021. So if I had to guess, maybe around October, November, seems like a fair assessment for the Hawkeye show. And then he moved on to another show that is in pre-production right now and basically confirmed what a lot of people knew at this point, even though contradictory reports were coming out, that She-Hulk will be played by Tatiana Muslavi, who was in Orphan Black and basically will be playing the role of She-Hulk. And he also gave one of the other surprising announcements that came with this news in that Tim Roth the tim roth who played the abomination in the incredible hulk a decade ago in 2008 will be reprising his role as the abomination in she-hulk along with the announcement that mark ruffalo will be coming back as hulk so somehow just as they did with secretary ross they're going to bring back the abomination somehow some way how that happens how he's integrated i have no idea but that is definitely a cool surprise that nobody really saw coming people thought that mark ruffalo was going to come back in this which makes sense but nobody had any idea that tim roth was going to be reprising as well as the abomination everyone thought that maybe one day they bring him back but right now that nobody thought that was going to happen so that was a really cool surprise and Kevin Feige, once again, adding fuel to the fire at the very end of the little She-Hulk segment, said that with She-Hulk kind of being a lawyer, you could see some other Marvel Studios pop up within the law, kind of giving a hint hint that maybe, just maybe, Charlie Cox or Matthew Murdoch, or Charlie Cox playing Matthew Murdoch could appear in this show, giving credence that Daredevil could be back in the MCU after the Netflix deal just ran out for the rights? Maybe that that could potentially happen, especially given all the rumors that are happening right now that Charlie Cox could be reprising his role as Matthew Murdoch in Spider Man three. Maybe maybe he does make an appearance in She Hulk, so Kevin Feige just added more flame to the fire in the speculation and all good fun. So that was exciting to hear. And then he gave a little bit of an update on Moon Knight. Nothing specific, just kind of a overall tease of what we're going to get in the show, describing the character of Moon Knight, the the background of him, but didn't give any official announcements. So unlike what we got with Tatiana and Haley Steinfeld, knowing that that was probably where it was leading to, no official announcement that Oscar Isaac will be playing Moon Knight. Just the background of the story, and the locations, and that's pretty much it. Nothing else with Moon Knight. And then we got a whole slew of brand new Marvel content that will be coming out for the... For Disney Plus, specifically brand new shows that we heard about She Hulk, we heard about, about Miss Marvel, we heard about WandaVision, Falcon, and Winter Soldier from last year with Comic Con at D23. But these are new shows that were exclusive to this investor day that we had no idea about, and these are the ones that Kevin Feige laid out that will be coming down the pipeline in the next few years to come. He started off with Secret Invasion, which is the popular comic book line that features scrolls being integrated into Earth and hiding amongst people, and they might not be who they think they are, and Samuel L. Jackson. Ben Mendelsohn will be reprising their roles as Nick Fury and Talos for this show, which excites me because one of the best things about Captain Marvel was the chemistry between Samuel L. Jackson and Talos. And the surprise twist that Talos has, really, he's a good guy. And he's, and he's funny. And Ben Mendelsohn, you always think of him as the bad guy. He's always played the bad guy. And that's what he started out with in the first Captain Marvel movie. But... It seems like overall he's a good person. So to kind of see him make that turn was fun and interesting. And we're going to see that continue to transpire in this Secret Invasion storyline. And scrolls will be a part of it. And this could be a huge show that changes the perception on some of the characters that people know in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And people thought that was what was going to happen in Captain Marvel. To lead into Avengers Endgame, which wasn't the case, but it opened the door for maybe some of the things potentially happening down the line with Secret Invasion. So that was one I think got people really excited. And then these next two seem like they will continue the legacy of Iron Man going forward. And even though we might not get any more Tony Stark or Robert Downey Jr., for that matter, the legacy of that character will still remain probably in, in Spider Man films and the MCU and whole. And then this little corner of the universe that will continue to kind of be rolled out. And the first one is Ironheart coming to Disney Plus. It will have Dominique Thorne from If Bill Street Could Talk playing this character that is able to build the most unique suit since Tony Stark built the Iron Man suit. So that sounds really interesting and it could correlate to the next Disney Plus show that was announced called Armor Wars, which takes on the classic comic book storyline of the fear of what happens if Tony Stark's technology actually fell into the wrong hands, which even in the movies, in the Iron Man trilogy, and even in the Avengers films, it was always something of Tony's of what happens if my weapons fell into the wrong hands. You saw that a lot in the first Iron Man film where he wanted to take out his weapons. He saw what they were doing in the hands of terrorists, the Ten Rings specifically, and so that was a driving force for him to becoming Iron Man in the very beginning. So now it seems like they're taking that comic book storyline and adding it to this Disney Plus show. And it will star the one and only War Machine himself, Don Cheadle. So again, Robert Downey Jr. might not be in it. He could appear maybe in flashback sequences potentially. However, you still get the the legacy of Tony Stark with a character like... Don Cheadle so I think this is interesting it's fun it's exciting it wasn't something that I was totally prepared for to be honest with you and I think with this show specifically you're getting again that legacy of Tony Stark and also getting Don Cheadle again I mean who doesn't want more Don Cheadle especially after the really good work he's done in the MCU you didn't know where storyline was going to go, especially after what happened to Tony Stark in Endgame. And I think to get that is really cool. And a question becomes, is Gwyneth Paltrow going to come back? Which, honestly, I don't think she will ever come back in the MCU again, especially now that Robert Downey Jr. is done. And I think she's been done for a while and appearing in Infinity War and Endgame is more of like a courtesy thing to finish off what was started in 2008 and really wanting to continue on with the franchise she doesn't need the MCU at this point although, although I think she did enjoy her time in it but I think we could get Morgan Stark down the line if she is old enough to be a part of it but to have Rhodey be the person to keep Tony's legacy going and to see how his death has affected somebody close to Tony Stark like that in a way I think it'll be interesting to see and find out and I was really intrigued by that and excited that we're going to get Don Cheadle in this television show. So that was exciting. And then we got some Guardians of the Galaxy news. There's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special in, which could premiere on the holiday of 2022. James Gunn is going to write and direct it. And basically with the announcement of this, Kevin Feige also gave an inclination of when we could see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 because he did say the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special will be coming out the holiday prior to Guardians of the Galaxy 3 in 2023, which gives the indication that, okay, this is going to come out two years from now, and then the following year, we're going to get Guardians of the Galaxy 3 in 2023. So some really cool stuff there. And also, we're going to get a short-form show called I Am Groot, which is going to focus on a baby Groot, which makes sense. Disney keeping on capitalizing on that baby Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So that that's <clears throat> Excuse me. That's interesting and cute, and I think it makes a whole lot of sense. And then Kevin Feige got into a lot more of the film stuff. So that was it for a lot of the Disney Plus slate. And then he rounded it all off by giving quick announcements on some brand new movies that we're going to be getting in the next few years. So first off, he talked about going back to Thor Love and Thunder and talking about Taika Waititi with Star Wars. Kevin Feige did announce that Thor Love and Thunder will be, begin filming in january and that thor love and thunder will kick off the summer movie season of 2022 on may 6th and did reconfirm what was already rumored and announced by the trades that christian bale will be playing the character of gore who is going to be the antagonist of thor love and thunder you have chris evans natalie portman tessa thompson coming back into their roles and of course you have Taika Waititi coming back so this makes a whole lot of sense love it and can't wait to see what they do with this film so again Taika Waititi doing this film taking care of Thor lemon Thunder and then I'm sure if Thor lemon Thunder is coming out 2022 2025 or 2025, yeah, either 2025, 2027, we're going to get Taika Waititi's Star Wars film. So then after Thor Love and Thunder, Kevin Feige went out to talk about Blade. Didn't give a whole lot of description, just kind of made a reminder that, hey, we're making a Blade movie. Mahershala Ali is going to be a part of it. He's going to be the new Blade, and we're making leeway on that movie. Then he went into the next film that he talked about, which was the Ant-Man 3. And it will be titled, not Ant-Man and the Wasp 3, but it'll be titled Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. And there were some surprising new casting announcements that came with this one. One was one that we knew about coming in from the trades, and that is the official announcement that Jonathan Majors from Lovecraft Country, the Five Bloods, Last Man in San Francisco, who is such a tremendous up-and-coming actor, will be playing Kang the Conqueror. And a surprising casting announcement that came out in which Catherine Newton from Freaky, Big Little Lies, and Blockers will be taking over the role of Cassie Lang. So there was an actress in Avengers Endgame that played the teenage version of Cassie Lang. And I guess maybe they want somebody who's a little bit maybe older or somebody that's more recognizable that maybe they can get for the next few years that can take over this role as a teenage Cassie. So... It surprised me a little bit that they didn't stick with the person that they got, so, and so maybe they, they just said, we want this character to be more prominent, and we want, maybe all due respect to the actress who played Cassie, a more prominent actress to, to play this part. So maybe that was their thinking, but overall, I think with ant of the Wasp Quantumania, I think it's going to be a major factor in the MCU, because with the last two Ant-Man films, even though they were smaller, they weren't these big scope films like Captain America Civil War or the last two Avengers films, they had a big plot device to play in the outcome, especially of Avengers Endgame with the Quantum Realm. So I think that we're going to continue to explore the Quantum Realm and the Quantum Realm is going to be a big, big factor along with the multiverse going forward in the MCU. And I think it's really going to see that take place with this movie. Of course, you have Paul Rudd coming back. You have Evangeline Lilly, Michael Douglas. And of course, as I was talking about yesterday or the day before that, Michelle Pfeiffer being reconfirmed to play Janet Van Dyne once again. So a lot of great stuff happening on Ant-Man's front. And of course, Peyton Reed will be back for the threequel. And then Kevin Feige went on to a little bit more sadder news in paying a tribute and homage to Chadwick Boseman and also giving an update on Black Panther 2, confirming to everybody that but what a lot of people were speculating and wondering, will they recast T'Challa? Will they move on from T'Challa? What are they going to do? Kevin Feige confirmed that they will not be recasting T'Challa. It will always be Chadwick Boseman's character, his legacy, and they will be exploring the world of Wakanda and the other amazing supporting characters, such as Shuri, Okoye, and Lupita Nyong'o's character as well. So there's all these incredible characters that they will be exploring. Ryan Coogler is going to be writing and directing the the... The script, and that Black Panther Two will be coming out on July eighth, twenty twenty two, moving away from its May slot, which is now being taken over by Thor: Love and Thunder. So, again, I think it's not a surprise. I think. It makes sense. And I'm not going to say if it was a right decision or the wrong decision. It's a decision that they came up with. And I think whichever way they went, it was going to be a tough decision no matter what. And I think if they went in this route, they always had great supporting characters that people loved that they could put around that they could say, okay, we can we can lean on these characters to become main ones, then supporting ones in the wake of the loss of Chadwick Boseman. So... I like the idea, and this, to me, confirms even more so that the reason that people thought, oh, well, Black Panther 2 is going to be delayed, which it was delayed by a few months, but not by years, and that Ryan Cooler probably had the role of T'Challa set and then maybe just moved a lot of his character arc to maybe one specific character like Shuri, or maybe he divvied it up to multiple people and gave them their own storylines in or worked in it and made them fit the story that he created. So uh, it makes sense. I'm I'm good with it. I, I understand it. And again, it makes total sense why you would not want to tarnish, not tarnish the legacy, but honor the legacy. Of, ta- of Chadwick Boseman. And again, I think when you saw all the outpouring and support and the and the memorials that came out and immoralizing Chadwick Boseman, it was going to be tough to recast that person with somebody else. And I wouldn't want that. And I don't think Kevin Feige or anybody else would want that on that actor who would have to take over for Chadwick Boseman when they're always going to be compared to him no matter what. So I think it was the right decision. I think it was the best decision. And Again, either way they went, I would have been fine with. And I'm fine with this decision. I'm happy with them for where they went with it. And the final thing that Kevin Feige talked about on the Marvel panel, closing out the content distribution of this episode, of this Investors Day, was the announcement, the final announcement that the first family of marvel will be making their way to the big screen the fantastic four will be coming there's no release date there's no casting announcement on when this film will be coming out the only thing that kevin feige did announce is that spider-man homecoming and spider-man far from home director john watts will be helming this film which I think was a surprise. I was not seeing that, especially now that John Watts will have four films that he's going to be directing in the MCU. He's already working on Spider-Man 3, and he's going to be working on The First Family. So, man, John Watts is probably loving his life right now. And it begs the question, because John Watts directed those Spider-Man movies, can Marvel and Sony work it out again that maybe Spidey appears in the Fantastic Four. It would make a whole lot of sense. Spidey has always had relationships with the Fantastic Four because they live in the New York City area. So that would be amazing. And I'm not saying that Fantastic Four would appear or Spider-Man would appear in the first Fantastic Four film, but it would make a whole lot of sense, especially if you wanted to put Spidey in... This movie, that John Watts knows the character, so it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. So I think it's exciting. I love the logo for it. The fact that the Marvel Studios is right in the middle of that is, is exciting and, 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 and amazing. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, this is exciting, this is interesting, and I'm excited to see what they do with Fantastic Four. No X-Men announcements, but slowly and surely I think they will be getting we will be getting those announcements in the next few years. So a lot again, a lot of stuff and that does it with the recap of this episode of this show. That was it for Disney's Investor Day and and we spent basically a whole hour hour plus talking about everything that went on at the Disney Investors Day. And again, a lot of it was streamlined towards Disney Plus. But again, Disney held that line where A lot of it's for Disney Plus, about 80 somewhat percent of it, but some of it is for theatrical and theatrical only. And they know that those big properties for Star Wars, for Marvel, and even Pixar make money at theaters, make money for the company, are a big help for the theaters, and it wouldn't help making those big blockbusters for the hybrid. So I think there was a lot of great stuff. This was a great day for Disney, and I think they showed again why they are the golden standard. And, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying about Warner Brothers. This is why they're the golden standard. This is why studios are always looking to catch up with Disney in what they do. And now you're seeing with Warner Brothers what happens on the opposite side of when you do something like what Warner Brothers did with their entire 2021 slate. And again, it's not about that. the fact that they did it. It makes sense, but the way they did it is not the way to do it. And you're seeing with Disney, again, drawing the fine line in the sand. Being on a typewire, slowly walking across it, trying to balance, perfect balance. I think they were able to do in this Investor's Day. It worked. They got a huge stock bump upgrade on it. And... It worked for them. And I think, again, they show why they are the dominant conglomerate. And even though they have taken hit after hit after hit this year with their parks, with their televisions, ESPN, ABC, even in movies. When they had a dominant year last year, 2019, the one big glowing star was Disney+. And there's no no way to deny it. It was Disney+. And it just shows that for netflix too that this is going to be huge that disney plus has already made 86 million subscribers and by fiscal 2024 they are projecting that they will have between two to three hundred million subscribers for disney plus that is astounding and they're going to keep losing money in the next few years they are not expected to make profit on disney plus until 2024 and they're already having this success with the numbers. And so for Disney+, Plus, which again, this th- their first year, they had Hamilton, they had Mandalorian, they had some good stuff, but there wasn't the consistency. Like I've always said, it was up and down. It was a roller coaster. They did it on peanuts. And you just open all this stuff. Yeah, this is all the stuff that we have coming out starting in 2021. Netflix has some cool stuff, but if Disney can put out some great content with all the great stuff, with all the great companies that they have, it's going to be tough for Netflix to keep the dominance as the dominant streaming service, especially when they keep losing on a lot of library content because library content is key and people want new stuff and Netflix, especially this year, they've been the savior of just churning out content every single week sometimes some of that content isn't the greatest or sometimes some of that content goes by the wayside with disney plus that content will always be watched and always be anticipated because of the franchises because of the ips that they have if they if they are consistent with putting stuff out week after week after week the sky's the limit for them and especially starting in 2021 Once WandaVision begins on January 20, or not January 25th, January 15th, and even though it's supposed to be six hours of content, if it turns out to be half hour episodes, and it's, it's apparently nine episodes, and it ends beginning of March, and then you get a week or so off, and then you start Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that's consistency. And then Falcon and the Winter Soldier goes for a few a month or so. Then you get Loki and you start ramping it up. And then say, say if you get Marvel content and the Bad Batch comes out for Star Wars March or April. Then you get two franchises, two fan bases that, that intersect with one another watching this content every Friday that is when the sky becomes a limit. And even though 2020 was big for Disney Plus, it was, next year, the year after could even be bigger. And they made the statement yesterday that they, even in a down year for the rest of their stuff, the rest of their organization, they remain king of the entertainment world, no matter what. And I'm a Disney fan, and you might be saying, well, Sam, you're saying it because you're a Disney fan, you're a Disney diehard. Yeah, I'm saying it for that reason too, but it's true. Look at the numbers. Look at what's happening between the the, the industry. Look at the studios, what's happening with all of them. Disney's able to walk that fine line right now. And they know it. They know it. Which is why when the investor day started, they made sure to begin talking about theatrical. And even though they're streamlining to, to DTC, direct to consumer, that they know that theatrical business is still important. So you got to walk that fine line. And Disney's doing that right now. And they blew the doors off of the industry yesterday with their investors day. People will be talking about it today, tomorrow, the next day after that and the week after that so congratulations to disney for a hell of an investor day and showing again that why they are the golden standard in hollywood right now so guys, that's that's it for for the investors day. Which panel did you guys enjoy? I'm gonna put a, a Twitter poll out for which one you guys might have enjoyed. I really would like to know your thoughts on it. Which trailer did you like from Star Wars or which announcement did you like from Star Wars? Which trailer did you like from Marvel or from Pixar or Walt Disney Animation? Let me know what you think. I'd really like to know. And leave your thoughts below. But, guys, with that down and out of the way, that will do it again for this long, extended edition of the Samba Cell podcast. I know I went on for far too long. This is the longest podcast I've ever done. But, again, Disney will do that to you when they have uh, an hour's worth of announcements to go through from Star Wars to Marvel to Pixar and so on. But, again, thank you so much for tuning in for listening if you have at this point. If you would like to, please check out my other channels for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the ambiguous podcast solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven Professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson and giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, check out these other amazing shows that are on the podcast Solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com also on facebook and twitter at real ambiguous and if you want to check out canopy treehouse use the coupon code ambiguous also when you get a chance make sure to follow me on social media you can find me on twitter at Bissell samuel that's b-u-s-s-e-l-l-s-a-m-u-e-l that's b-u-s-s-e-l-l-s-a-m-u-e-l and on facebook at sam basel Guys, again, thank you so much for sticking with me and tuning in onto this edition of the podcast. And have a wonderful weekend. And until next time, keep on screening.